Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them, and I am stoked to finally be starting our rivalry series. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we bring you the first episode of our rival series, and we are beginning with none other than Naomichi Marafuji and Kenta of Pro Wrestling Noah, aka Mara Ken. It feels fitting to start the series with a two-parter on a rivalry that could be considered the blueprint for other contemporary feuds in Perez. While considered pioneers in their own right, Mara Ken changed the industry together, and we are excited to take you through their history from their very beginnings in the All Japan Dojo through to today. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So we are kicking off our rival series with my personal favorite set of rivals and wrestlers full stop, Namichi Marafuji and Kenta of Pro Wrestling Noah. I wanted to keep these episodes focused as much as possible on their relationship and the singles matches between them thus far, so I am not going to give a full biographical deep dive into their early lives before they became professional wrestlers. I'll save that for future episodes, as I'm sure we'll continue to return to them even after this, and there are a lot more things in my collection that I'd like to get translated over time, which will help with that. Part one today will cover their history together up through 2008, and part two will pick up in 2009 and go all the way through to flight in 2018 and some thoughts on where we are today with their rivalry. For today's episode, my primary resources are a timeline and several articles translated by Kana, who helped me during our Suwama episode from two issues of Shukan Perez in my collection. The first issue is number 1444 from November 5th, 2008, and the second is number 1445 from November 12th, 2008. They're two of my favorite issues I own and two of the first shoe pros I ever bought from Totokan. Issue 1444's cover is Kenta with the GHD Junior Championship on his shoulder and Marafuji facing him with the All Japan World Junior Championship on his shoulder. It came out right before their title v. title fight that we'll talk about today. Issue 1445 is from after the fight, so it features a lot of photography of the match itself. I learned so much from these articles, so a massive thank you to Kana for all her work for these translations. I also want to thank Exploita, who you can find by the same name on Twitter, for access to his incredible collection of Perez and for helping me find a Marken match from 2001 that I had never seen before and for verifying some information for me around which of their earlier matches had made tape or not. He's always been very generous with me when it comes to sharing wrestling and his knowledge, so I want to thank Exploita for his help as well. Marafuji was born in Konosu, Saitama, Japan on September 26, 1979. As I mentioned in episode two of Kickout, I am Noah. He joined the All Japan Dojo in March 1998 at around 19 years old after graduating from high school and having completed a three weeks long trial at the All Japan Dojo earlier that year during his school's winter break. Mara Fuji's amateur wrestling coach spoke to one of his other teachers about his aspirations to be a professional wrestler. Mara Fuji was not applying to college. He was always kind of adamant that he was going to be a professional wrestler. And that teacher knew Misawa personally and contacted him to ask if he could speak to Marafuji over the phone, which is how that trial was arranged. He had his debut match against Yoshinobu Kanamaru on August 28, 1998. Kenta Kobayashi was born in Soka, Saitama, Japan on March 12, 1981. I actually have a chance to correct myself here because my estimating of when Kenta had his All Japan tryout was off in I Am Noah. 
Kenta was part of All Japan's first public tryouts in August 1999 when he was 18 years old and he had his debut match against Namichi Marafuji on May 24, 2000 while they were still a part of All Japan Pro Wrestling. By June of that year, Marafuji, Kenta, and many other members of the All Japan roster at that time would follow Misawa in an exodus that led to the formation of Pro Wrestling Noah, as many of you listening know quite a bit about. I want to revisit some quotes from Marv Fuji's earliest recollections of Kenta from his book, Heir to the Ark, some of which I've talked about here and there through episodes of Kickout, but I also want to give you some of Kenta's impressions of Marv Fuji from his book, Footprints. In Heir to the Ark, Marv Fuji remembered, I did my best, but because there were seniors above me, I didn't give him much guidance. I think I taught him ordinary work like cleaning and chores. Kenta, when he was a new trainee, was quiet. <laughs> I spoke about this next memory in episode number 12 of Kick Out when I was covering Kenta's fourth trial match with Yoshihiro Takayama, but one of Marafuji's most significant and enduring memories of Kenta from their All Japan Dojo days was watching Kenta spar with Jun Akiyama. Marafuji said, there is a remarkable memory that clings to me when he was sparring with Akiyama, who he was no match for either physically or in terms of performance. And while being battered, he was hanging in there. The image has remained with me tremendously. Everyone who entered other than Kenta had dropped out and not one of them remained. From then on, I had the competitive spirit. This is such a Marafuji thing to say. His phrasing is just so indicative of him. But it's also very telling of Kenta's personality. And I definitely want the listeners to remember these quotes as we go through this episode, because I think it really does resonate throughout having read this outline in advance. So I know some of the spoilers, but uh, but I do. I really want you guys to uh, sort of listen and remember those quotes and keep them in mind, because you're going to see a lot of those character notes throughout this entire rivalry. Oh yeah, this like lays the framework for their entire oh, relationship. Extraordinarily so. Oh, extraordinarily so. Now I can give you some of Kenta's earliest impressions of Marafuji in the All Japan mm-hmm. Dojo. Right off the bat, a pull quote from the cover of Footprints reads, when I was a trainee, Naomichi Marafuji was a demon in human form for me. And Chris Charlton, who made a great thread of translated quotes and anecdotes from Footprints, gave two perfect examples expanding on Kenta's feelings there. He said in the dojo... Whoever was on phone duty had to answer within five rings, whatever the situation, or consequences would be dire. Marafuji ribbed Kenta by waiting until he went to the toilet, then rushing to the phone from an upstairs room, hanging up, and then doing it again. Marafuji also ribbed Kenta by convincing him he needed a passport for domestic flights right before they went to Sapporo, and urging him to try his ring gear on before his pre-debut match, which was a tag, before locking him outside the dojo in his gear. (laughs) <laughs> Marafuji was the youngest of four boys, so you can see that he plays really hard. <laughs> yeah. And this is why Marafuji was being humble when he was like, oh, I'm not a real, I wasn't a real senior. It's because he was a bully. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you you have a really good point there with uh, him growing up with, growing up with brothers. You can definitely tell. I said it during episode number 12 in reference to Tetsuya Naito and Kazuchika Okada, but the same is true here. There is something really special that can come of these relationships between a senior and a debuting junior. So that is where we really begin in talking about Maru Ken's single series with Kenta Kobayashi's debut on May 24, 2000 in Aomori Movement Park Gymnasium as part of All Japan's Superpower Series. As a reminder, Kenta debuted under his shoot name and he didn't start using Kenta in Romaji with all caps until 2001. 
We're still some time away from Kenta developing the style he is so well known for today. So when you go back and watch his earliest matches, he's wrestling the trademark All Japan trainee style. Lots of drop kicks, elbows, missile kicks, and diving body attacks. Mara Fuji lets Kenta get some shine for a bit and show off the skills and what he's learned so far before he takes control and defeats Kenta with an ebikatame, which is the Japanese term for a Boston Crab in 11 minutes and 27 seconds. Marafuji at the time is wrestling in a different style than perhaps what he's most known for today too, and he hasn't invented the Shuranui yet. That comes much later. A lot of Marafuji's attacks are aerial at this stage of his career. He's very influenced by Lucha Libre. After the match, Misawa said, this was better than my debut match, I think. Marafuji also commented, I want to keep Sessa Takuma, which means improving together through friendly rivalry by encouraging each other. Shupro also noted in 2008, reflecting back on this match, that the match report at the time wrote, Kenta is small, but he seemed big. In Heir to the Ark, Marafuji remembers calling out to Kenta post-match, catch up, keep up. Marafuji also notes at the end of his recollections from Kenta's debut that when they moved over to Noah, they became quote-unquote eternal rivals. This is technically true, but as I've noted on other episodes of Kickout and what is also echoed in issue number 1444 of Shupro, their rivalry didn't truly begin in earnest until the tail end of the Maru-Ken tag era with Kenta's seventh trial match against Marafuji. And as I've mentioned, this is their only singles match of their series that occurs within All Japan. The other 14 are in Noah. Pro Wrestling Noah was founded on June 16, 2000, and they had their first shows in August of that year. We got the first Mario Ken singles match in Noah on September 16, 2000, and Differ Ariake, so this is their second singles encounter. This match is available for you to watch on YouTube, and I do recommend that you check it out. We will link you to the publicly available matches on our blog. When everyone came over from Noah, what a lot of them did was change their gear or gear colors. Mm-hmm. Marafuji had still been wearing green trunks because he was Misawa's attendant, but Noah's primary color and Matt were green, so he changed his gear to not match with the color of the promotion. In this 2000 match with Kenta, Marafuji is wearing red trousers and a red vest with his name on the back, so he really goes from looking like a trainee to starting to look like a professional wrestler once they make the transition to Noah. Kenta, on the other hand, still looks very much like a trainee. He's wearing solid orange trunks and wrestling boots like he did in All Japan. And this way, he looks like he's cosplaying as mentor Kenta Kobashi, who wore virtually the same thing in his younger years. Years later, Goshiyazaki, another Kobashi mentee, would have a stint in orange trunks in the year after his debut in 2004 as well. There's not a whole lot to report here, and it goes very much the same way as Kenta's debut. A few notable things are how nervous Kenta is before this match. He carries so much tension in his hands even today, but you can really see the nerves in Kenta by watching how he holds his hands before this match begins. This match is significant in that Kenta uses his swan-style missile kick for the very first time, which is pretty cool. And Shupro did note that they could see signs of growth in Kenta between his debut and the singles match with Marafuji. It ends the same as his debut, with Marafuji sinking in in Ebigatame at 13 minutes and 6 seconds. So yeah, that's actually what I wanted to ask, was if you felt that this match was sort of a like a hard reset almost, or like a, a new starting point to their rivalry like almost a re-debut of sorts to sort of get you know Kenta introduced into Noah or was it a sort of natural progression of things and and Shupro noting that there were signs of growth sort of point towards the latter but I wanted your thoughts I think it's kind of like for the younger guys a hard reset for all of them Mm -hmm. and they really like you know Marafuji gets that opportunity to start moving up the card pretty much 
right away. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a it's a hard reset for all of them. But really, Kent is all only a year in to his career by the time they moved to Noah. So I he's still very much a trainee. Like he's he's very much at the infancy of his career. He's still doing like all of the valet type of things. That's really the most significant thing for him in this time period. So I don't know if it's necessarily like a a re-debut for him as much as he's still like practically debuting in okay. front of everybody. Okay. Their third singles match was on November 8th, 2000 in Yamagata Sports Center. So not too long after their second in Differ. This was their first singles match in a rural area. The other two having taken place in Aomori in the Tohoku region and Tokyo. This match is significant because it's the first time Mara Fuji defeats Kenta with his brand new Shiranui, which he had only debuted the month prior in a match against the great Sasuke. At this point, earlier on in both their careers, Marfuji and Kenta are moving at different paces at somewhat different trajectories. Kenta had been wrestling for, like I was just saying, a year when Noah had their first shows, and Marfuji had been wrestling for two. So he's just ahead of Kenta in terms of establishing himself as a wrestler on the rise. Kenta is working your typical trainee matches at this stage, and Marfuji is already a few weeks into a WEW tag team reign with Timon Honda, the first belt he held in his career even before he won anything in Noah. Their fourth singles match was in Differ Ariake on May 12, 2001. This match was just after Kenta returned from a right shoulder injury that took him out of action for four months. Marafuji defeated him with a Shuranui in 12 minutes and 28 seconds, but Kenta put up a good fight with a Topi Gongiro from the apron and some impressive variations of Hurricane Rana. Kenta was also very blonde for this match, and I believe he had the blue eye contacts in as well, a really brief gimmick for him. This was the match I had never seen before. Exploita sent it to me, and Kenta is actually quite impressive for being so young. Even during a few clunky moments where he doesn't quite land things, he manages to pivot well to the next spot, and Marafuji is very generous with him in navigating that. I totally forgot about that look. I really did. I know. A rare Kenta. Yeah, it's a rare one. The fifth match in their series is actually fascinating because before Kana's translations, I didn't even know it existed. It didn't make tape and it's considered an unofficial or unlisted match, so you can't find it on places like Cage Match. It took place in a disco called Rapungi Verfere or Rapungi Velfere. I saw both versions of the spelling on September 26, 2001. They wore casual clothes and wrestled in front of drinking patrons who apparently got sucked into what Shoe Pro calls Perez viewing mode. Marafuji won with a Shuranui. This match is also notable in that it was their first singles match since Kenta had changed his name from Kenta Kobayashi to just Kenta in Romaji and capitalized back in July 2001. The change was made, as I understand it, because his name is so similar to his senpai's Kenta Kobashi. So their sixth singles match on February 11, 2002 in Aichi Toyota Prefecture Gymnasium didn't make tape either, but it is important for a couple of reasons. Before I can even get into the match itself, I need to make you aware of where we are in their timeline again. On December 9th, 2001, Mara Fuji became the third GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion after defeating Ryuji Takaiwa, a freelancer who had his start in New Japan. Shupro describes their meeting for the GHC Junior Heavyweight title in Ariaki Coliseum as quote unquote, a battle between a king and a youth, which I thought was really cool. Kenta and Marafuji's sixth singles match happens right before Marafuji defends his title against Juventud Guerrera on February 17th in the Budokan. It's obviously no title and notable in that this is their first singles match since Kenta changed his style from the more rookie All Japan moveset to the kick style he's become synonymous with. He also started wearing shin guards, a departure from his debut in rookie gear sets. Marafuji clinched another victory in 10 minutes and 50 seconds with an Ebigatame. 
But getting back into Mark Fuji's GHC junior heavyweight reign is actually quite important to discussing what comes next for both of them. Ultimately, this wound up being an extremely short-lived reign for Mara Fuji, and surprisingly, his only reign as GHC junior heavyweight champion. He had one successful defense against Juventud Guerrera before an accident during a tag match on March 21st, 2002 in KBS Hall, where he wound up doing some serious damage to his knee. He ruptured his left CL completely, and then in true Mara Fuji form, continued to try and wrestle on that up through a GHC junior heavyweight title defense against Makoto Hashi on April 7th in Ariaki Coliseum, where his leg gave out entirely, and Hashi became champion for about a day by referee's decision. <laughs> Mara Fuji was devastated waiting for the ambulance after the match, and Misawa did tell him he had to stop and take care of his knee. Vader comforted him until the ambulance arrived and took him away. The injury required surgery and months of physical therapy to recover from. Really heartbreaking, honestly. Mara Fuji's absence becomes an opportunity for Kenta. There is a tournament held to determine the next GHC junior heavyweight champion, as they didn't keep the title on Hashi and wound up vacating it. Kenta is able to use that tournament as a real breakout moment. He's getting the crowds behind him. He's winning matches. He's really starting to look like a total package in a way he hasn't before. Ultimately, Kenta lost in the final round against Yoshinobu Kanemaru on May 26, 2002 in Sapporo Media Park Spica, but he had made his mark regardless. Mara Fuji was ultimately out from April of 2002 until January of 2003. His return match was on January 10th, the Nippon Budokan in a tag match with Yoshinari Ogawa against Tsuyoshi Kikuchi and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Coming off his injury, Mara Fuji was more focused than ever on making wrestling and Noah interesting and showing the world that wrestling is amazing when he returned kenta said that while marafuji was home resting kenta grew up i love that little quote i've mentioned it on our matches we love episode but through it you get this peek into what their relationship as performers would continue to develop mm -hmm. into the earlier months of 2003 are interesting for Marafuji, who began to float back and forth between the heavyweight and junior heavyweight divisions. He began tagging with Morishima and actually got his first heavyweight tag title shot as a result of that partnership, but they were unsuccessful. During this time, the juniors actually wound up splitting into two camps, Marafuji, Kenta, and Kotaro Suzuki, and then Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Takashi Sugira, and Makoto Hashi. This split happens because Sugira was tagging with Kenta against Kanemaru and Hashi during the February tour and wound up betraying Kenta and joining up with Kanemaru. So perhaps the Noah juniors have always been sort of chaotic. The first Kenta and Marafuji tag against Hashi and Kanemaru on the road to the Maruken tag era happens on March 1st in the Nippon Budokan, but that tag predates the start of the Maruken tag era by four months. They defeated Hashi and Kanemaru in that match. In July of 2003, a tournament was announced to crown the winners of the newly established GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Championships. Participants in the tournament included Marafuji and Kenta, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Takashi Sugira, Tsuyoshi Kikuchi and Mitsuo Momoda, Makoto Hashi and Kototuro Suzuki, Michael Modest and Donovan Morgan, Jushin Thunder Liger and, and oh, I did it again, Jushin Thunder Liger and Takiro Murahama from New Japan, and Yoshihiro Sasaki and Tatsuhiro Takaiwa from Zero One. Maruken made it to the finals against Liger and Murahama on July 16, 2003 at Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium and defeated them, becoming the inaugural champions. Marufuji said of their win, I believe that this tag belt win was due to the fact that Kenta was my partner, but I don't think it would have worked when Kenta was still in orange tights. Mm -hmm. During my absence, he had found a good place for himself and put an emphasis on kicking, and through this, his personality had come out. 
there is truly so much I can say about just their tag reign alone. I could probably do just an episode on the Maruken tag era of Noah, but I'm going to try to keep my comments brief so we can stay focused on their rivalry, which really starts to take shape toward the end of this era. First, if you haven't watched their tag matches from this era, I really do recommend it. This was a massive reign of 690 days. It lasted from July of 2003 through June of 2005. To this day, they are still the longest reigning champions. Aspects of idol culture were not necessarily new concepts to Perez by the time Maruken became a tag team in 2003. You can see aspects of idol culture with Jumbo Saruta and the way he was photographed and marketed when he was a younger man. And then the same with Kenta Kobashi in particular during the early 90s. Kenta and Marafuji were just another resurgence of that, but obviously what it meant to be an idol had been redefined by the early 2000s. They became quite popular as an act because not only were they talented and exciting, they were also young and attractive, and this did not go unnoticed. Marafuji tells a funny story in his first episode of his drinking show for Abema in 2020, where during the Maruken tag era, him and Kenta used to get tons and tons of Valentine's Day gifts from fans, but when their marriages were formally announced to the public, their gifts went down to basically two. Marafuji was a little salty about that. He really does love a good piece of chocolate. I love that that conversation so much. It was so, it's another one that's just very telling of Marafuji. <laughs> they also released a photo book at the end of their tag reign in 2005 called Shin Uchi. It has beautiful photos of them performing, training, being backstage during shows together, and a lot more. It's one of my favorite photo books I own, and it is out of print, but you can usually find it on Totokan or Amazon Japan. To get back into the wrestling, there are so many fantastic matches from this reign. Maru Ken versus Makoto Hashi and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. You have them against Juventud Guerrera and Ricky Marvin. Kotaro Suzuki and Ricky Marvin's another great match. There's a lot of really great Ricky Marvin matches in this era. And then, of course, the match where they drop the belts to Takashi Sugira and Yoshinobu Kanemaru is another fantastic match. And that's really just to name like a few. It's actually hard to find a subpar match in that reign. They even have a match during that reign that is not for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Belts, but for the Heavyweight Belts. Mm. They used a junior tag title defense against Kotaro and Ogawa to challenge Misawa and Ogawa, the GHC Heavyweight Tag Champions at the time, to a title match on April 25th, 2004 in the Nippon Budokan. Maruken lost, but it truly is must-see Noah watching. It's a tremendous match. Marafuji noted that during the Maruken era, Kenta was really becoming more and more his own wrestler rather than just another junior that would stand beside him. But there was still a reassurance there and they could always make a match together even when their priorities were focused on themselves. With Kenta, Marafuji only had to worry about their opponents, never what Kenta was going to be doing. So they had a very comfortable arrangement. Marafuji has also said in Heir to the Ark that a lot of what they did in the ring together was not from talking about their matches at length, but going by their intuition. That trust and confidence that they had in each other really comes through in their tag matches, and this will carry over as we get back into some of their more important singles matches as well. This era is really so important for a couple of reasons. You have that they themselves created their very own era within pro wrestling, Noah. If you know anything about the history of the company, you know about the Maruken tag era. You have their idol influence, which made a massive difference for the company at the time and ushered in a new era of familiarity between wrestlers and fans. And you also have Maruken breaking down the walls between heavyweight and junior heavyweight wrestling with their tag against Ogawa and Misawa. 
and also Marafuji beginning to drift between the divisions. Marafuji also won the GHC Openweight Hardcore Championship on October 16, 2004 from Jun Akiyama in Tokushima Municipal Gymnasium, which as the name suggests was open weight but still signified the changes in the company culture that Kenta and Marafuji were hoping to make. Marafuji even noted in his book that breaking the fence down between the divisions did leave fans divided, but ultimately he still regarded it as an important aspect of the Marukan era legacy, so to speak. This is such an interesting, like, I guess era is really the only word for it, but this is such an interesting tag team in that there's almost no real genre to put their tag team in, if that makes sense. Like you have your tag teams where it's a senpai and a kohai and the kohai kind of uses that tag team to come into his own and become his own, you know, character and his own person. And and you see that with Kenta and, and Marafuji notes that, but you also have this sort of, and they sort of created this genre of these two attractive idol-esque men wrestling, you know, in a tag team together, which you now see today with like the uh, former Roppongi 3K and, and things like that, where that is now its own sort of genre of tag team. So there's there's so much going on in this tag era. And it's just very interesting how you can't really sort of shove them in a box and I, neither of them would want that. But I really wanted to note that. No, you're completely correct. It really is such a unique time period for them and such a unique relationship between them because they're really not far apart in age at all. But Marafuji is still kind of senior and you're still getting these notes of Marafuji being the senior with Kenta. He tries to say that like he's not a senior to Kenta and yet who is constantly like nudging Kenta to make sure he turns yeah. around and bows and who's like playing the part of the, you know, the coach on, on the, on the apron with Kenta a lot of the time too, during this time period, it's always Mara Fuji. So you do still get these notes while at the same time, like they are both rapidly developing into these like two stars during this era. So it's a very unique tag team that, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to replicate them. I think I've talked about this a bunch of times, including extensively on matches we love. So I recommend revisiting that episode if you need a refresher on the importance of trials and Perez. But what is happening in the background of the Marukan tag era are Kenta Seven trials. Kenta Seven trials begin in January 2004 with a match against Juventud Guerrera, and he winds up fighting Yoshinari Ogawa, Junakiyama, Yoshihiro Takiyama, Kenta Kobashi, Mizuhara Misawa, and finally Namichi Marafuji, which is how we get the seventh Marukan match, fittingly, the seventh and final trial. This is a remarkable period for Kenta. Him and Marafuji are the junior heavyweight tag champions. They're challenging Ogawa and Misawa for the GHC heavyweight tag championships, and Kenta has this opportunity to take his career to the next level against his seniors, who also just happen to be some of the finest professional wrestlers and performers in the world. Something I just want to point out about the trials before we jump back into Maru Ken is that Kenta debuted the finisher he created himself, the Go to Sleep or G2S against Misuhara Misawa during their match. Kenta said of debuting the move against Misawa in Footprints, being small, I wanted something where my opponent's weight would be an advantage. The heavier they are, the harder they get hit. I tried it in the dojo, but didn't know how it'd go in a match. The reaction was way better than I thought, which is a very Kenta quote. Before the G2S, he was using the Busaikumi as his primary finisher. Additionally, Kenta had been in these long gray tights with designs on the side for a bit, having moved on from his Kobashi cosplay gear. But during his trial series in 2004, he begins wearing his very famous yellow and brown or chocolate banana shorts. And you can officially call them that. Like that is that is the name, is the chocolate banana. Yeah, I think people like think that's a, like a 
a joke, but like that's the official name of the shorts, the chocolate yeah. banana shorts. Yeah. <laughs> However, we do call the uh the long gray tights the Goblin King tights because yes. they are Jareth from Labyrinth, and that's just our name. So, yeah. but the you chocolate can, banana is le- legit. You can use that if you're listening to this, but the chocolate banana uh, shorts are official. Marathi and Kenta's seventh match to complete Kenta's trials was on November 13, 2004 in Corrigan Hall. Kenta standing in the ring to face Marafuji for that match is a very different wrestler than the one Marafuji had fought and defeated six times before. He had grown and developed a real style and sense of self, not to mention that his popularity had grown from the GHC Junior Heavyweight Title Tournament in 2002 through the success of the Marokan Tag Era and Kenta's trials, which really put a spotlight on him in 2004. I am sure Rachel will ask me at some point what my favorite Marukin match is. And honestly, I will struggle to answer and probably pick different answers every time because as they know, I make a really big deal out of having to pick favorite matches and make like end of the year lists and whatever. But I absolutely love this match. And sometimes I do think it's my favorite Maruken singles match. Some of that might be rooted in nostalgia because it was the first Maruken match I ever saw. But this match is also critical to their story. It's where we can officially mark the turning point of their relationship from tag partners and that bit of senior junior dynamics they had going between them up to that point to true rivals. In reference to this match, Shukan Perez also remarked, you could say that this battle was the first step toward making of the new brand that is Marafuji versus Kenta. Because through this match, Kenta emerges as a true contender, someone who can be a generational rival to Marafuji. Mm, cannot be understated than the importance. I think Marafuji's walkout for this match is relatively well known because it's been gift a lot, but Mara walks out in a Phoenix mask that he wore to the ring a lot during the earlier parts of his career. And when he gets into the ring, Kenta is already in there and meets him in the middle for this stare down where they're acting as if they really can't see each other. It's a cool moment. They also have that spot earlier on where their legs are intertwined, but they manage to do dual headstands and slap each other. <laughs> you get a lot of these like classic shithead Kenta feigning a big move only to swipe his foot at Marafuji's face while he's down instead or Kenta kicking Marafuji in the face while he's in the tree of woe and Kenta's distracting the ref. Kenta hits his swan dive missile kick, a tiger suplex, his busaikuni, even looks like it might win him the match at one point. Marafuji hits a sick looking frog splash. He gets Kenta with a dragon leg screw off the top rope and then connects with a top rope drop kick. Their speed and their strikes in this match are just immense. But my favorite part of the match is that they actually botch, and I use that word lovingly, the finish. They go for the Shirinui Kai, or the Spanish Flies, you can also refer to it as, but they don't have it. They're both losing their balance, and instead of attempting it when they don't have it, they tumble off the ring post into the outside. It's actually incredibly difficult to ever catch these two talking to each other in the ring in any of their matches, particularly these singles matches. Like, it's incredibly difficult, but you do see them as they lay on the ground selling, talk to each other for maybe a second before they get back in the ring, start throwing punches at each other, and just set up the Shirinui Kai again. At this point in time, November 2004, Kenta is 23 and Marafuji is probably 24, so they're really young. I wonder if they might have gone right back into the same setup if they were a little older or not, but the thing is, it doesn't matter. The crowd is on the edge of their seats for this. The fact that they had to run the finish again 
arguably makes the whole ending sequence better because it heightens the tension. Is Marafuji going to hand Kenta his sixth consecutive loss to end his trials and his seventh consecutive loss in their own single series? Or will Kenta finally beat his senior and tag partner and end his trials two and five? The crowd is desperate to know. They don't care. They had to fall off the ring post. I think the mark of true performers is the ability to adapt well when things don't go to plan. And you see Marafuji and Kenta pivot and make magic happen in Quark in there and at other times during their singles run as well. I think they are masterful at that actually. So that being said, Marafuji puts Kenta away to hand him his final loss of his trial series with the Shiranui Kai at 22 minutes and 23 seconds. And it is really impressive, especially at like their age is they're very, very young. And you made a good point where if they were to do it when they were older, they probably would have pivoted in a completely different way than, you know, running the spot again, but it's still a pivot and they still, you know, worked with it in the match. And that really just speaks towards uh, who they are as performers. Absolutely. So from this point, Mara Fuji and Kenta remained the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Champions until they dropped the belts to Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Takashi Sugira on June 5th, 2005 in Sapporo Media Park Spica. I've talked about this in matches we love as well, but between Kenta's trial in November 2004 and the Maruken tag era coming to an end in June 2005, Marafuji starts tagging with Minoru Suzuki, doing more of that straddling of the divisions, but going for the GHD Heavyweight Tag Championships with Suzuki becomes quite important to him, and they actually win the belts from Doug Williams and Scorpio at a show in England on June 18, 2005. Those titles are Marafuji's first pure heavyweight titles in NOAA. Marafuji also mentions this fascinating conversation between him and Kenta and heir to the arc that I would be really floored if it turned out to not be half or more kayfabe, but he describes coming to Kenta after they lost their junior tag belts and asking him what he wanted to do. Kenta apparently replied, I'll go at it alone, which is actually a really important part of Kenta's character and at times outlook on how to be successful in Porez. On July 18, 2005, Noah held a show in the Tokyo Dome called Destiny. This is a phenomenal show. It is a stacked card, and you've probably watched matches from it and not even realized they were from Destiny. Kenta Kobashi versus Kensuke Sasaki with their famous chop battle being one of them. Kenta had an outstanding match on the Destiny card against GHD Junior Heavyweight Champion and ace of the juniors at the time, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, to become GHD Junior Heavyweight Champion for the first time. This was Kenta's second title in his career, and I just need you to go on YouTube. Do not just search Kenta vs. Kanemaru 2005 because you'll get the file with Kenta's dub theme, and that's a crime. <laughs> search Noah Destiny 2005, pop up the whole show, and scrub until you get to their match, and just watch it. Everyone should hear what the crowd sounded like when Kenta held the GHD Jr. above his head for the first time in the Tokyo Dome. Kenta's trials prepared him for that moment and that kind of embracement from the crowd. This brings us to Maru Ken's eighth singles match, which happened during Kenta's first reign as GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion. His first reign very much made a statement. He held the belt for 321 days and had defenses against Suwa, Mushiking Terry, aka Kotoro Suzuki. His famous match against Loki at Ring of Honor happened in this reign. He defended against a young Taiji Ishimori and eventually dropped the belt to a different rival in Takashi Sugira on June 4, 2006. Marafuji was Kenta's seventh defense in that reign, and of course, there's a lot of tension because they're rivals now. Marafuji is also contending at heavyweight, and that says something, and Kenta has yet to beat Marafuji in a singles match, so there's a lot at stake here, and it's another opportunity for Kenta to prove himself. 
The match was on January 22nd, 2006 in the Nippon Budokan. Marafuji was in the black, red, purple, and gold gear he had during this time period, which is arguably some of my favorite he's ever had. They start out fast and hard, and then Marafuji spends quite a bit of time keeping Kenta grounded, bringing him down to the mat and using those grappling skills and targeting his legs through a variety of other means. Marafuji knows from their last match he needs to neutralize Kenta's most powerful offense in his kicks, so he has these perfectly timed kicks and perfect basement drop kicks right to Kenta's knees. Kenta is really defiant and at times pretty vicious throughout this match. He's really making a statement about how he feels about Marafuji's previous wish for Sessa Takuma between them. This isn't always going to be a friendly rivalry anymore. He has to overcome Marafuji here. Marafuji hits an incredible Shiranui from the apron using the ring post to the outside that is one of the highlights of this match. Kenta defeated Marafuji with a go to sleep followed up by a Busaikuni for the three count at 29 minutes and 19 seconds. I loved this match. This match was so good. Yeah, I love the creativity a lot of times in the legwork of Marafuji. I think that's something that is really important and really important to this rivalry and this story. You have just really awesome drop kicks. Like you really nailed those on how uh, how good they are. But um, yeah, it's it's really something to be said about how Kenta's really relying on force here. Like I, I wouldn't say like he's just bearing straight ahead, but you can feel more tension inside of him as he's you know barreling forward and I really love that context you gave of you know this is the moment that he just has to defeat Marafuji and um, you can definitely really see that whereas uh, Marafuji's coming at this with this like sort of fast-paced unpredictability and um, it's it's just a really good little storyline they are not (laughs) They're not hiding their aggression, that is for sure. But Kenta definitely is more heavily the aggressor. And so that's definitely something to keep in mind when you watch this match, because everyone is going to go out of their way to watch this match, because they really ought to. (laughs) Definitely. We're we're definitely going to talk about some real camp misses, but I really liked this one. Yeah, it's interesting, because I I think I I love all their matches, but I think I, I enjoyed watching this one for some reason, like, that much more this time around and you're completely right like Kenta is so much the aggressor in this one he's going to try to plow straight through Marafuji to try to stop him because he needs to win and Marafuji is I thought Marafuji is like his performance in this in particular was so good like he's so intelligent with the way that he Mm -hmm. is trying to neutralize all of Kenta's offense but he's just so quick-witted about it it's just like a really fascinating match in the way that they play off of each other I really liked commentary was like working really, really hard to uh, point out this uh, Kohai Senpai sort of relationship. You you hear it like a million times throughout the commentary. Like they were really driving home the point of how important it was for Kenta to defend this belt against his Senpai. So that's something that really stuck out uh, while watching this match. And I actually wanted to sort of ask, and I'm sure we're we're sort of working our way towards that already, but uh, would you say that this match marked a change in their relationship or sort of set a tone for the near future of their rivalry? I'm sure that you're going to get to it, but I, I really wanted to ask that because the commentary was just going so hard on it. Yeah, you know, I think like the first change is certainly marked at the trial, because we mark that as the start of the rivalry but certainly here it's like as i mentioned like really that sense of um of sessa takuma which is based in friendly rivalry right or like 
and then, you know, changing together through that sort of friendly encouragement, that's not present anymore. You're starting to see that sense of these two will fight each other to the death, right? They have to, right? They're compelled to. And you start to see that in this match, it's going to be less of a friendly rivalry from here. And that's where you do start to see the change here. Their rivalry does get nastier. It gets nastier as we head into the No Mercy and Brave year. So it can get nastier from here. But you do start to see that change as Kenta, you know, starts to sort of grow and he starts to come into his own as a champion. He is not going to let Marafuji ever play the senpai with him ever again. Yeah, that's exactly what you can see here. And it's it's not necessarily like Marafuji is trying to keep, like, put Kenta in his place necessarily like you see that a lot in in actually a lot of my favorite rivalries um but uh but that's that's not really the sense you get out of marafuji here it's more like he's just trying to keep kenta at bay and and kenta's just just barreling through and and that's definitely very important to the rivalry so i like that you sort of uh you hinted at that you hit on that something i want to point out is that when kenta gets the three count here he sits up and he raises his arms in victory over having defeated marafuji for the first time and if you look marafuji squeezes the only part of kenta he can reach which is kenta's outer thigh this is such a marafujiism he does that sort of affectionate thing with people he has very strong connections with at times Sagira is actually a really good example. You only need to go back to their last singles match for the GHC Heavy when Marafuji was champion in July 2021 to see what I mean. Marafuji is so happy for Kenta at that moment. He can't help but do something to articulate that to Kenta himself, even when he should be selling. And this match is the start of something important at this stage of their rivalry and careers. They are performing at a level that has not been seen before. Maruken are innovators. They innovated some of the moves and sequences that you watch your favorites do today. They began to change the landscape of pro wrestling, not just pro res, but pro wrestling through matches like this together. This match is where you begin to see people say that Maruken's wrestling was beginning to rival Shiteno Porez, which is the Japanese name specifically for the four pillars wrestling matches together. There is a heaviness to that sort of comparison at this stage in their careers. There is so much for them to live up to. That constant comparison to their seniors by others, but self-imposed at times as well. That leads into their ninth singles match, and as I mentioned, their second 2006 singles match. Marafuji's second defense of the GHC Heavyweight Championship that he had won from none other than Jun Akiyama on September 9, 2006 in the Nippon Budokan. You've heard us talk about this win before. Controversially at the time, Marafuji won on a roll-up, which wound up putting him at a real disadvantage as it didn't give him any favors with Noah crowds already divided on the mixing of who they viewed as purely heavyweights and purely junior heavyweights. And also, the crowds were there to see established stars in their main events, such as Misawa, Kobashi, Tawe, Akiyama, though Akiyama had to struggle uphill at times in Noah as well. A lot had been done to establish Marafuji as a star and someone who could feasibly move to heavyweight. He had partnered with Morishima, been in a tag team with Suzuki and held the tag titles. He won the white belt from Akiyama. He defeated someone like Akira Tawe in a singles match. If you've listened to our other episodes, you'll know that Noah had started to really struggle financially due to the changing landscape of Perez in Japan, which was not as successful as it once was during its heyday in the 90s, for example. This meant that there was a ton of pressure on Marafuji to succeed as GHD heavyweight champion. Seats needed to be filled for his main events, all while Noah is struggling to make new stars. 
And really, the pressure was on both of them. Kenta was also butting up against that mixed reaction to junior heavyweights competing for the GHD Heavyweight Championship, but also the expectations Mark Fuji and Kenta had set by their last two singles encounters. Kenta's final trial in November 2004 and Kenta's defense of the GHD Junior Championship in January 2006. If you remember what I said a moment ago about their wrestling together being compared to Shiteno Perez, expectations for Mara Fuji's GHD heavyweight defense against Kenta could not have been higher. The match took place on October 29, 2006 at the Nippon Budokan. For those of you who haven't seen every match in their single series, I would be surprised if this was the one you hadn't seen, only because it's the match where an accident injured both of them and they had to keep going through to the finish. It's so well known for the guardrail spot gone awry, but even beyond that cursed spot, it's a true highlight of their single series and widely considered one of the best Noah matches of all time. Yeah, I actually thought I had seen the um, Kenta defense and not this one. And Alicia straight up was like, no, you you got it mixed up. This is the one you've seen. And when I went through and rewatched these, uh, she was right. That That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> that speaks to just how well-known and just how iconic this match is, is that even if you don't know that you've seen it or at least have seen it, you know, clips on Twitter, on YouTube, like you've probably seen at least something from this match. Mara Fuji is on the offensive at the start of this match. Right off the bat, he drop kicks Kenta into the barricade, which looks sick. He's targeting Kenta's neck by quite literally standing on his neck. He also uses a dragon sleeper. There's this really interesting part where Mara Fuji puts Kenta in a corner and starts kicking him much like Kenta would. It's almost a bit mocking before he switches to forearms. Kenta, of course, no-sells that offense for Mara Fuji and eventually gains control back so he can smash Mara Fuji with his own nasty kicks to the stomach and sternum, which Mara Fuji sells like death. Kenta hits a crazy diving double knee stomp to Mara Fuji hung over the ropes. They do a lot of work on the outside with this one, but obviously the big famous spot is when Mara Fuji kicks Kenta over the barricade, pulls the barricade closer to the ring, and then attempts to moonsault over the barricade onto Kenta. He misjudged the distance, clipped his own throat on the barricade, and his foot smashed Kenta in the face, which left Kenta a bloody and dazed mess the rest of the match. Mara Fuji winds up with a gigantic bruise on his throat from this, and recently when he talked about that spot, he said the doctor at the hospital said if he had landed differently, it could have been so much worse. Somehow these two are able to continue and they do some clever spots that target Kenta's face, as you can't avoid the fact that he's bleeding from a cut across the bridge of his nose, like when Mara Fuji smashes Kenta's face against the top turnbuckle after a springboard to the outside. Kenta hits a diamond cutter in this match, which is pretty neat. There's another pretty famous spot in this match that looks and sounds hellacious. Kenta lands a falcon arrow to the floor on Mara Fuji, and you can hear Mara Fuji's noises of pure agony on this spot. I do not doubt for a second how much that hurt him. Kenta, of course, follows that up with a diving double foot stomp while Mara Fuji is still down. They have some crazy exchanges in the ring, trading suplexes, and Kenta hits a stunning avalanche tiger suplex off the top rope to Mara Fuji. But despite Kenta's best efforts in hitting a go to sleep and a busakuni, he couldn't stop Mara Fuji. Mara Fuji turned the tides of the match and defeated Kenta at 35 minutes and 34 seconds with his pole shift. Mara Fuji was handed his GHD heavyweight belt and he tossed it across the ring to drop to his knees next to Kenta, who the ring attendants were working on because he was still a bleeding and swollen mess afterward. I'm glad you mentioned the Falcon Arrow. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned a lot of these spots because um, while that moonsault is famous slash infamous for all the reasons you mentioned, there's honestly like so many iconic and kind of horrifying bumps in this match that if that moonsault hadn't 
happened, they could have been the big spot that people talk about in this match. Like that's that just really speaks to I, I could probably name about five off the top of my head. Um, that really just it speaks to how much they gave each other during this match. This is a lot of people's like big favorite for <laughs> the two of them. And and I know you you mentioned that it might be one of yours. But uh, I will change it every time you ask me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until part two, I think, and see if you've forgotten that I'm ready to spring the question on you. But uh, you won't. You won't forget. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but we'll we'll see. But I I definitely think this is mine so far. And I I think that makes me a little bit of a of a typical, I guess, like normie fan for picking. this. No, 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 no. I mean, like. (laughs) It's a remarkable match. I mean, it's one of the most, it's one of Noah's finest hours, honestly. It really is. It's um, it's it's a tremendous match. If you haven't seen it, please go out of your way to watch it. It is one of their best together, but it's also one of the best of their careers. It's an incredibly important match to the history of the company. Despite the incredible wrestling and how well it was received, ticket sales were low and Noah couldn't afford not to sell out venues like the Budokan. Mara Fuji wound up dropping the GHC Heavyweight Championship to Misawa on December 10th, 2006, also in the Budokan. This match is such a beautiful testament to Mara Fuji and Kenta's style of wrestling together, and I think many probably list this as the standard for Mara Ken, or at least their favorite of the series, but it does have that somewhat mixed legacy of being brilliant, but not enough to convince Noah fans at the time that, quote-unquote, juniors like Mara Fuji and Kenta could hold the top title and carry the company forward. There's so much to be said about this era and the mistakes made with both of them by the company, the questionable marketing of these matches, and the overall shaky booking all set against the ailing press industry in Japan. Notable, however, is that this match won Tokyo Sports Best Bout of the Year in 2006. I want to share Kenta and Mara Fuji's reflections on their 2006 singles matches from those 2008 issues of Shupro. To start off the interview, I believe both of them were asked a prompt like, what was the reason you wanted to win? Kenta said, In January, the venue was different from when we had the best of seven, and the expectations were even higher. I felt like I wanted to achieve more than the last time, and of course I wanted to defend my title. Reason for victory? I guess my overwhelming desire to win? I don't think there is a particular reason because it was such a close game. After all, there is no winning pattern or losing pattern. Regarding the October match, my fate was sealed because my opponent had a secret move up his sleeve. It was all I could do to return the Shiranui Kai before that, so when a new technique followed, I couldn't do anything. What Kenta is referring to here, the Shiranui Kai was Marafuji's super finisher during the 2004 trial match. When Marafuji landed that, that was going to be the end of the match for you. The new secret move he's referring to at the end of the October 2006 match, he's referring to the pole shift, which was brand new. Uh, my understanding is that that was the first time Mara Fuji had used it. So he's using it specifically to stop Kenta. I was saving that one. I wanted to get to Mara Fuji's comments first, but I, I wanted to ask about that. Picking up with Kenta's comments, he says, I wasn't intentionally conscious of it, but in January's match, I was pushed pretty hard during the match and Mara Fuji's reputation went up even though he lost. So in October, I reflected on that, learning that I can work on techniques that amaze people even when I am losing. But I don't think that has much to do with winning or losing. This time, I'd say that we were mutually determined to create a good match, but a fight is still a fight. Around the last interview, which would have been the October issue of this magazine, I felt like I was unconsciously missing that point. 
For now, I just want to keep on kicking. In that sense, I don't want to forget how I felt in January. The October match was after January and was really the main deal, so they demanded more from us. I think I was more aware of what people thought of me in that battle, but the Perez that I want to do is a match where I express my feelings and convey them to my opponent and the audience. I won't forget that, and I never want to lose sight of myself by worrying about what others think of me. These comments from Kenta are so interesting because you really get the sense that each new technique Marafuji brings to their matches really matters to the storytelling. It is quite literally the difference between victory and a loss for him. You also really get a sense of how much pressure Kenta was under in 2006 with the weight of the company and fan expectations on him. It becomes pivotal for him to not lose himself. And what other people think he needs to be doing or who he needs to be, Kenta only needs to wrestle based on what is in his heart and mind. And I love that these really hit on how hard audience reaction really resonates with him. This is something you see in every single aspect of Kenta's career. It's always who he's been, but even in previous quotes and comments you've used in this episode, he has mentioned it or hinted at it at just, you know, the the audience's reaction. Oh, I can get a big reaction out of this. And that's that's really what resonates with him. And, and these... Um, Comments really drive it home, but you raise a really good point in that they also put a lot of pressure on him that he really, really internalizes. And you can really start to see that here. We'll talk about this a lot too as we head into part two. Um, There's so much to be said about Kenta's connection to the audience and what hearing a crowd behind him does for him as a performer. We'll talk extensively about that. I mean, you can just hear when he's talking about, uh, or when he, rather when he's doing his backstages for New Japan now, he's constantly mm-hmm. referencing what people are saying about him because he always knows, he's always paying attention. Yeah, so that, that stuff matters a great deal for him. And as we get through this episode and move into part two, we'll start to get a sense of how he starts to navigate things so that the comments don't drown out his sense of self, yeah. which becomes critical for his self-preservation. So we'll now read Marafuji's comments He says, reason for victory in October? Who the heck knows? It was so darn close. And I thought, (laughs) you know, this was, (laughs) you know, this was done in 2008 because he says darn and not damn. So when he wasn't cursing. Anyway, (laughs) it was so darn close and I thought I couldn't win. So I did a new move at the end. Depending on the opponent, that technique can change the angle of the drop. So for him, I did the best drop I could possibly land. Also in that match, I did time staggered rope work. That kind of happened because I went with the flow. I didn't think much about it, like a sudden flash of inspiration, you know? Isn't a good opportunity to realize that studying Perez isn't just about learning techniques. People might say, that was a planned performance, I'm just playing my character, but really that was the moment that time-staggered rope work was born. Perez has a long history, but something so simple hadn't yet been discovered. That's why I believe there must be so much more to it that we don't know. Kenta is an opponent that you can't defeat without getting inspired to do something new like that. If you have one weakness, he will stab you right there over and over. The technique, the movement, you need to consider absolutely everything in order to beat him. If you lack even one thing and you can't overcome it during that match, you lose. He is an opponent you must surpass each and every aspect in units of microns. No, even units of corks. I'm obsessed with these comments and we'll, we'll, you you have really good uh, analysis of them. But when I read these, I was just blown away with how he analyzes his own matches at times because this really just speaks to 
the match itself and also to Mara Fuji. So much to say about these comments. They're just I, sort I of um, forever. Yeah, they're just just to unpack both of these. They're remarkable. Mara Fuji is remarkable for how much he's innovated over the years. The Shiranui, Shiranui Kai, the pole shift, curb stomp, tiger flosion. They're all accredited to him. He's even credited for the code breaker. Chris Jericho talks about that in one of his books, but it's just remarkable to hear him say that he came up with something like that time staggered rope work on the fly during the October match. He just did it in the match. I don't think he gets enough credit on how much he changed wrestling today sometimes, to be honest. I don't think people remember or realize just how much he did on the fly in those matches and just how much he's innovated. So I just, to reflect on that sometimes is just sort of immense, but his quote about Kenta as an opponent has really stayed with me. I will say this at multiple points, but you will find no bigger fan of Kenta, even at the ugliest points of their rivalry and storyline, than now Michi Marafuji. He has said it in interviews that Kenta is his favorite wrestler, that Kenta is the best wrestler. Marafuji and Kenta have always been so smart in how they speak about each other. You can't build a true rivalry devaluing your opponent. And that is why Marafuji puts Kenta over with every last breath. And that quote really drives home how much is at stake for them every single time they meet in the ring. Kenta makes Marafuji want to innovate, to do that much more to defeat him, even though he has a significant advantage in their series over Kenta at that point. Yeah, that's one of the things I really wanted to talk about with this match and and just I couldn't have said it any better than Mara Fuji said it about himself is just um, I mentioned in the first 2006 match of January 1 that it was him keeping Kenta at bay. And now you're starting to see that becoming a rule for Mara Fuji that he has to innovate he has to keep going you can't defeat him without being inspired and that just speaks to marafuji but it also speaks to what kenta brings out of marafuji that marafuji you know i know he hates this moniker but he is a genius he really is just brilliant and he finds these inspirations in the middle of a match and that can't happen in this case without Kenta. So that just really shows what their rivalry does for each other. And that's really what you see in this match, like talking about having to, you know, pivot and have to work. I mean, that's what that moonsault did to them is that it was unfortunate, but then you get all these clever, really crazy spots. It's just, it's, it's incredible what these two can bring out of each other. And, and it really could only happen with these two because of how they view wrestling and what what they see out of wrestling you have kenta's you know focus on the audience and that fighting spirit that comes from wanting to excite and sort of stimulate the audience and then marafuji's desire to adapt and to be inspired and to create this art and they're sort of and pushed the art form forward that's a huge thing with marafuji and that's what you see in this match and like i said these comments just said it so perfectly that i sort of had to wait on my analysis there because it's just that's what it is is it, it just couldn't been done with anybody else they set themselves up to be that sort of perfect textbook two sides of the same coin there it is. rivalry and what is important too is that Mara Fuji is, and we'll talk about this more as we head into 2009 and what that means for Mara Fuji in his career moving forward. Mara Fuji is probably the most generous wrestler 
working. He's actually generous sometimes to a fault. And the thing about him and Kenta, though, is that even through all of Marafuji's sort of generosity and how he approaches wrestling, how he um, is very giving to his opponents, he will um, put people over and, and not care much about, you know, what that makes things look like for him. Kenta and him bring out a certain level of competitiveness. So you do start to see that, you know, Marafuji, as, as incredible and generous as he is with Kenta, even in like the, you know, at the heart of their rivalry, they do bring out this incredible competitiveness together where they have to try to defeat each other. They're going to be locked in that battle until they can figure out how to do it. And that's, you know, it doesn't matter that Marafuji um, is winning essentially in like this, in like the standings, right? He's got way more wins over Kenta than Kenta has over him, but Kenta brings out that desire in him to truly compete and to win. And to, you know, again, like you've been saying, just try to keep him at bay because he really does believe that Kenta is the best wrestler in the world. Mm-hmm. For him, it's, you know, it's like a great honor that he gets to continue to be in a, in a ring with Kenta and defeat Kenta. So they're remarkable in that way. So now we've arrived at the last match we will cover on this episode. And at this stage of their rivalry, their 2008 title v. title match took place on October 25th, 2008 in the Nippon Budokan with Kenta defending his GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship and Marafuji defending the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight Championship, which is the 10th singles match in their series. There's a gap of about two years in between their October 2006 GHD Heavyweight Championship match and the 2008 title v. title match, with both of them obviously representing different companies. For Kenta, in that two-year time period, he had a second reign with the GHD Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles with protege Taiji Ishimori that lasted about 115 days between March 2008 and July 2008. He had become GHD Junior Heavyweight Champion for a second time on October 10th, 2008, two weeks before his title v. title fight against Marafuji when he defeated Brian Danielson in Hiroshima Green Arena. It's a bit of a strange period for him because while his popularity has only grown since his last meeting with Marafuji, he hadn't held a singles title since he first won the GHG Junior title at Destiny in June 2005 or moved up to heavyweight even after convincing performances against Marafuji or his second and final singles match against his mentor Kenta Kobashi on March 5th, 2006 that happened during his first run with the GHC Junior. But during this period of inactivity with singles titles in NOAA between 2006 and 2008, he's having well-received matches against Brian Danielson, Morishima, his Misawa match for the GHC Heavy in New York City for Ring of Honor happens during this time period. He has a great match against Kensuke Sasaki, and he has a match with Katsuhiko Nakajima that kickstarts a rivalry there too. Winning the GHC Junior for a second time was a real return to the singles title scene in NOAA for him. For Marafuji, since his and Kenta's last match in October 2006, he picked up the GHC Heavyweight Tag Titles for a second run, but with Takashi Sugira as his partner. They held the belts for a total of 209 days between October 2007 and May 2008. During this period, he's still having lots of junior matches and also having great matches in Ring of Honor, but he also competed in a 2007 tournament where the winner would receive a title shot against Misawa, who held the GHC Heavyweight Championship at the time. Marafuji defeated Takeshi Morishima in the final round of the tournament on September 7th to earn the shot and faced Misawa for the GHC Heavy on September 29, 2007 in Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. He lost to Misawa there, and that wound up being their third and final singles match together, something we'll discuss more in part two. During this time period, there absolutely were fans asking all the time, when will we see the next Maruken match? In 2008, they finally received their answer. On September 28, 2008, 
Mara Fuji defeated Ryuji Hijikata for the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight Championship in Yokohama Bunka Gymnasium, his first All Japan title despite his start with that company. This is a very significant moment for Mara Fuji and one of two critical chapters in his career that bring him back to his former home in All Japan. In Heir to the Ark, Mara Fuji talks about not really being that thrilled that he had to leave All Japan when the 2000 roster split was beginning to unfold. Misawa wasn't exactly going around and asking the other young wrestlers like Mara Fuji, Kenta, Morishima, Rikio, and probably Sugira, even though he was older than everyone else but hadn't debuted as a wrestler yet, what they wanted in that situation. It was expected that because they worked with certain seniors, they would follow them to Noah. But Mara Fuji was really proud of beginning his career in All Japan, and it was the only company he knew. But he was being asked to leave all of that behind and walk into the unknown, so to speak. He really valued his time, though limited, with Giant Baba, with Matoko Baba, with Jumbo Saruta. He has very fond memories of all of them and was pretty adamant that no one would be able to take that time and those experiences in All Japan away from him. Another thing that you'll hear, and I think there is some confusion about this, is Mara Fuji is often referred to as Giant Baba's last apprentice. From many articles I've read, this is not implying that he received direct hands-on training from Baba in the way that we know Jun Akiyama did, hence why Akiyama is often referred to as Giant Baba's last student. Takao Amori also used some of that wording in October 2022, just last month, when he faced Kento Miyahara for the Triple Crown in Giant Baba's hometown of Sanjo, and that may have been a stretch because of the closeness of Akiyama and Omori's debut dates. However, from what I have read and understand, Marufuji was the last trainee to debut in All Japan under Giant Baba before he passed away in January 1999. In Heir to the Ark, in many articles, Marufuji talks about Giant Baba instructing him and others from ringside. So he did not receive instruction from Baba inside of the ring in a hands-on way, just from outside of the ring. This has led to people in the press to describe Marufuji as someone who has inherited Baba Amisawa's genes or DNA. His identity as an All Japan wrestler who learned the King's Road and Jiteno styles of wrestling is very important to him and something you shouldn't overlook when you're trying to understand something of Marufuji. So all that being said, the opportunity to go back to All Japan in 2008 and win a title there would have been incredibly meaningful for him. A little bit of destiny fulfilled, if you will. Another incredibly important thing to keep in mind about where the industry is in 2008 is that it's not doing well. Every year, the pie from which all the promotions can draw from to be successful continues to shrink and shrink. Fumi Saito, wrestling journalist, historian, and podcaster, has a great quote in Dr. Jonathan Foy's The Muto Years that sort of sums up the state of things in Perez in 2008. He said, good matches took place but never mattered. Wrestling was so dead. The audience from the 20th century had left and were gone. That's the dark age. The wrestling industry being in freefall played a major role in Mara Fuji's motivations around wanting to work with companies like All Japan and become World Junior Heavyweight Champion, which will become more apparent once I share some quotes with you from Shupro momentarily. When Kenta won the GHC Junior for a second time in October 2008, there was a sense of excitement. Like, oh, are we finally going to get the next Mara Ken singles match now that they both have these titles? And of course, the match was made in the grandest way possible a title-v-title match main eventing the Nippon Budokan on October 25th, the winner taking both belts. Mara Fuji said ahead of their title fight, can the upcoming match in which both of us are in the best conditions be able to surpass the match in January and October? The reason I went for the World Juniors was because I wanted them personally, but also because I wanted to create various effects. I'm fine with being selfish and thinking about only myself in the game, but if the industry itself doesn't go well, we won't go well either. So we all need to work together to make the Perez industry thrive. It would be nice if we could broadcast this to lots of places. At Budokan, of course, I will fight to beat Kenta. 
but also want to fight to save this failing industry. I love that he states like, oh yeah, I'm being selfish and this is all for myself. And then immediately goes into this grand plan to save the entire industry. That's probably the most Marafuji thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be saying that a lot in yeah. these episodes, unfortunately, but yeah. yeah. There he goes. Yeah, This is definitely a, a big one for him. You have Marafuji representing their past or what could have been as the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight Champion. And you have Kenta representing their present. You also get this perfect ideological clash in Marafuji and Kenta. Marafuji is walking into the Budokan with the weight of the world on his shoulders, believing that through the success of their bout, through reaching across the aisle to different promotions like All Japan, they can prevent the collapse of the industry. Kenta, however, opposes Marafuji in that since their 2006 singles matches, he has gone inward. He believes he needs to make himself the very best wrestler in the world that he possibly can, which will then make Noah more successful, and only then can they save the industry. Kenta will look to himself first before he does anything else. I'll be reading from some Shupro interview comments later on, but the reporter Inoue said of Kenta before the 2008 match, he, meaning Kenta, wanted to be the best of his generation. However, after losing two years ago, he had to let go of his naivety and came to have a stronger sense of self. That's the big difference between him and Marafuji. Today's Kenta believes that if he shines, Noah will become popular and it will directly help the Perez industry to thrive. That ideological clash will come to define their rivalry for many years to come, particularly as we round the corner into the no mercy and brave years in part two. The match was refereed by famous All Japan referee Kyohei Wada, the first of two Maruken singles matches he would referee. The crowd screams Kyohei in unison, as is tradition, when he is announced. Shunishinaga, Noah's referee, is the ref on the floor for this match. The crowd is electric before the bell even rings. This match really does have the feel of something like Misawa versus Kobashi in 2003, or even some of the bigger matches in the 90s uh, from All Japan. Misawa is on color commentary for this one as well. This one begins much like some of their other matches begin with a quick flurry of attempted strikes and takedowns that end in a stalemate with them glaring at, at each other across the ring because they have each other so well scouted at this point. The match really starts moving when Marafuji gets them to the outside with a drop kick to Kenta. He goes for a moonsault, but Kenta kicks his legs out from underneath him. Kenta moves back into the ring and attempts to hit a brain buster on Marafuji, but Marafuji counters and lands a Cabrada instead. 20 minutes into this match, Marafuji starts really focusing on attacking Kenta's legs and putting him in a figure four leg lock, followed by a dragon leg screw and a flying knee bar. Kenta regains control by dropping Marafuji to the outside. Once back inside, Kenta lights Marafuji up with kicks, a lariat, and hits a suplex into the turnbuckle. Marafuji looks to counter, but Kenta takes him outside again with Akane Bisami and drops him over the guardrail for good measure. Kenta and Wada bicker about this, which is oddly comforting. There will always be someone giving Kyohei Wada shit in any timeline. It's important. It is also tradition. Around the 30-minute mark, Marafuji manages to slingshot drop kick Kenta off the top turnbuckle, and Kenta falls to the outside, clutching his head. Marafuji sees his opening there and smashes Kenta's face into a ring post before hitting a brain buster on a railing. Eventually, Kenta mounts a comeback with big lariats and touch the sky. Kenta rushes Marafuji, who sends him over the top rope, and Kenta dodges Marafuji's plancha. However, Marafuji manages to get Kenta over the guardrail on the outside towards the fans and sets Kenta up for the same spot that almost killed both of them in their October 2006 match. The crowd is holding their breath for this, but Marafuji lands the moonsault to Kenta clean this time. When they're both back in the ring, Marafuji locks in a cobra clutch and there's a flurry of attempts to wear Kenta down. Marafuji is able to get Kenta in the Tree of Woe to attempt the corner-to-corner drop kick. Kenta escapes but gets drop kicked 
on the top turnbuckle anyway. He's able to withstand Marfuji's attack to bring him down to the mat and hit a diving double knee. After a kick, Marfuji winds up outside again after he tumbles out of the ring and hits the barricade in front of commentary so hard, Misawa's monitor almost winds up in his lap. Interestingly, Nishinaga starts counting for Marafuji down on the outside at the same time Wada starts counting for Kenta, who is down inside of the ring. Marafuji is able to scramble back into the ring, but Kenta gets up and lands a swan dive missile dropkick and a Liger bomb. His go-to-sleep attempt fails and he gets Marafuji in a grapevine submission. Marafuji escapes and hits a Busekuni out of nowhere. The remaining 15 minutes of this match are the two of them throwing everything they have left to give at each other, even though it's obvious that both of them are exhausted. For the record, so is Wada. Afterward, he'd walk to the back, sit down, and drink an entire bottle of water down because, as he noted, for every four steps someone like Misawa, Kobashi, Tawe, or Kawada would have, would have him taking refing their matches, Kenta and Marafuji had him taking six. He also refereed them at a distance, which was quite unusual for him, but because of the Maroken style of wrestling, he didn't want to be in the way and couldn't predict what they would do from move to move. There's an amazing sequence where Marfuji has Kenta draped on the top of a ring post, and he starts running from the barricade gate and manages to land a flying kick to Kenta. He flips Kenta over from the turnbuckle to the floor, and Kenta sells this like it's killed him. There's a big reaction from the crowd at ringside over this. Kenta gets back in the ring to be met with Marafuji's dropkick from the other side of the ring. He attempts some Sharanui's, even manages to land a really fucking cool rolling Sharanui from standing. Kenta goes for an avalanche tiger suplex, but Marafuji lands on his feet. He goes for it again, and it almost looks like he has the three count, but Marafuji kicks out at two. Kenta gets a kick combo in and goes for the go to sleep, but Marafuji evades him. It devolves into just powerful kicks, strikes, slaps, and lariat exchanges that lay both of them out for critical moments at a time at the very end of the match. With seconds left to go, Marafuji hits the pole shift, but he's too tired to properly cover Kenta and only gets a two count. With both wrestlers scrambling, the final bell rings, and Noah has just witnessed their first 60-minute draw in the history of the promotion. I think this match is just really a classic for 60 minute draws like I mean it's it's not really anybody's favorite 60 minute draw that I've ever really talked to it might be yours is it your favorite 60 minute draw I don't know I've never I've never thought about it I think it's because I like all Maruken matches are my favorite matches and they are in their own category yeah so I don't ever think about it that way so you don't you don't think about it as a genre of or a part of a genre of another match. No, they're they're completely separate. This isn't a 60-minute draw. This is just a Maruken match. Yes. It happens to be very, very long. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I never really think about it that way. It's interesting because to me, it, it was very paced like a good 60. Like, you know, I watch a lot of Broadways. I really like 60-minute draws because I'm a weirdo. And I watch my favorites over and over. So to me, like the pacing just felt very classic. It felt very uh, traditional. One thing I love about long matches in particular, and I, I actually, I just always look out for this in wrestling and you'll see me gif it all the time, is that rope break in the beginning. In it just in every single long match, in every single match, you have that clean rope break, whether it's clean, whether it's not. And to me, it sort of tells you the whole story of the match right there, right then. And you see that it's it's just crucial to me. Here we have Marafuji sort of making the clean break only to attempt this, swi um, this swift kick. Kenta just dodges it immediately and counters with a kick. And that to me is what you get to see this match is them just so evenly, just that two sides of the same coin. And that continues at this really incredibly 
well done pace. It just goes and goes and goes and they're never, they're always in this really nice like um, trade of control. And then once you hit that last 15 minutes, it's just insane. It is, it's something else, how they're always giving and taking and giving and taking and just going at 100%, which I I borrowed from some uh, comments we'll, we'll talk about in a bit, but it really is a, a 100% in those last 15 minutes. So to me, this is such a quintessential 60 minute draw. And it's something that you'll see the same sort of pacing in all of Noah's, the ones I've seen, all the the Noah um, hour long matches. So I think that's, it's just a good one to watch as sort of that first one that this company has done. We refer to it in our intro, but we use the the word, the phrasing, you know, we call them like the blueprint, but I think yeah, that's, you know, it couldn't be, um, it couldn't be more true because I think that you're right. I think that we do see echoes of this and other Noah matches. Certainly. I think like you, you can look at what, what Nakajima and Keno just did. You can see some of that there. <laughs> One day I'll talk about that match. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. But um, but yeah, this is um, it's a stunning achievement. I think it's also I think the most affectionate Kenta has ever been to Mar Fuji after a match. Um, <laughs> besides maybe when like Kenta's going away match when he left for WWE. But yeah, it's it's, it's a stunning achievement for them. This is a match that both of them still talk about. They still both mark this one in really interesting ways like this one will almost always end up in their instagram stories when the anniversary comes up in some ways i don't know if like like mar fuji acknowledged this one on twitter this year i don't think kenta did kenta's been working though but they usually um acknowledge this one in some way and they've both talked about it but this is an extremely important match to their rivalry to their careers despite everything going wrong in the wrestling industry in japan by this time in 2008, this was still such an achievement. These two men headlining the Budokan for Noah on their own merits and doing so as double champions. And though they don't, there's no winner, you know, it goes to a draw. They both still won here. And I think that is perhaps why they both look back on this match so fondly. Yeah, really well said. And I like that you mentioned just how electric the crowd is when, when you look at a lot of, uh, reviews and criticisms of the match they mention you know the the quietness the relative quietness of the crowd so I'm really glad that you sort of mentioned where the industry is at and sort of to give context to why it seems you know more quiet but the crowd really really was into this match like it's, it's I think those criticisms are weird because like the crowd is with them the whole fucking time oh, yeah. especially oh, the through whole- the end like there's there's points where it looks like Kenta might win and the crowd is like losing their shit because it seems like he might turn the tide. I think what um, people are doing is letting their sort of bias of that time period affect perhaps how they view the audience because you can see that the Budokan is not perhaps that full compared to other eras gone by for, for Noah and for other companies. But that doesn't mean that the match wasn't successful, that it didn't do what it was meant to do, that they weren't successful in what they set out to do. It was the time. It was like Fumi said, it was like a, a lot of incredible wrestling was taking place, but a lot of people had moved on from watching wrestling at that point. And frankly, you know, we're going to hit 2009 when we get back into this in part two, and we're going to see another big exodus of people leaving uh, per wrestling. And we'll talk about why when we get into it. So all that being said, I want to share with you their backstage comments immediately after that fight. 
Kenta was asked, you fought through for 60 minutes? And Kenta said, I have nothing left to say. I did everything that I could do in the moment. I gave it 100%. I cherish the fact that everyone who came here today loves Perez and I am proud of it and I intend to keep going this way. How do you feel now that it's over? Kenta said, I wanted to win, but I gave it 100%. I can say that I gave it all that I could. We both did. I think we get each other that way. This is a fight. So people came to see one of us win. They probably wanted to see a conclusion, but today they saw us give 100%. Mara Fuji attacked in a way that could backfire, but on the receiving end, how did you feel? Kenta said, I had made up my mind. No matter what attacks came at me, I was going to take it. So I wasn't afraid of anything. What kept you going for a whole hour? Kenta said, the audience's cheer was everything. I could hear the voices say Kenta. So I could enter the unknown realm of 60 minutes. I struggled at the end, but the support from the audience kept me going and I was going to do whatever it takes to win. It was unfortunate that it was a draw though. Before the match, you were very particular about winning and how do you feel now that it's over? Kenta said, I still wanted to win and it hasn't changed. I still want to win. Definitely if we ever do this again one day. Who is the next challenger? And Kenta said, I can't think about it right now. Please forgive me. I think what I like about Kenta's comments the most are his acknowledgement that the crowd's calls of his name kept him going through the entire 60 minute match. This will be something, like I said before, that we will revisit many times before the end of their series. You can also see Kenta acknowledge that they get each other, him and Amara Fuji, and that they both left everything on the map that night, 100% as he describes it. It's true. Mara Fuji's comments are next. Same question to start. You fought through for 60 minutes. Mara Fuji said, I couldn't win, huh? I couldn't. I couldn't win even with 60 minutes. How could I have won? Heck, I don't know. But if it was anyone other than Kenta, I think I would have won. What was the uncharted territory that was 60 minutes in like? Mara Fuji said, heck, I don't know. It was probably long, but sort of short. I don't know. I hope the audience can decide if it was long and boring or if it felt short and they'd like to see more. That's the most important thing to us. Not about us, but how the audience felt. First match against Kenta in two years. Marafuji said he was extremely strong. He has everything sussed out. He's hard to fault. You even used your outside Kadabra. And with that question, they're referring to the moonsault that he used in 2006 and they got hurt on. Marafuji answers because there's nothing left to be scared of because Kenta is the scariest. I couldn't care whether my techniques would be successful or not. I probably wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Kenta. Mm-hmm. Were there moments where you felt like you could win or lose? Marafuji said all the time. In all aspects, I felt threatened and I felt like I had it. But if I hang in there, he would hang in there too. The fact that I couldn't win means there's still a way to go. I would like to fight him again someday. You defended the world junior. Mara Fuji said, that I am relieved with for now. To be honest, I have an opponent in mind for this moment, but it's got nothing to do with this for now. 60 minutes is over, but when's the next Kenta match? Mara Fuji said, man, you're cruel. Hang on for a second, will you? Even after two years, it felt so soon, but we will definitely do it again because we do the best fights. We have to, we can't leave it for anyone else. Mara Fuji once again putting Kenta over as the scariest wrestler that he would have won if it wasn't anyone but Kenta, that he wouldn't have attempted the things he tried in their draw if it hadn't been Kenta across the ring from him. That's been very consistent from their 2004 match up until this point. To start to wind down this episode, I want to share two articles from reporters who wrote about Mara Fuji and Kenta after the 2008 title v. title match. I'm going to try not to read all of them, but I do want to read quite a few sections of each because both are so beautifully written and really illuminating if you're trying to understand both wrestlers and their rivalry in 2008. A shoe pro reporter named Inoue spent time with Kenta and I think really captured Kenta's mindset as a wrestler and performer at the time and how he contrasted with Mara Fuji. So I'll read Inoue's work first. Humans cannot live alone. Humanity has reached this level of prosperity because of the combined efforts of humankind. Sometimes I want to rely on someone like God who has no form. 
Kenta was the same up until October 29, 2006. He wanted to be the best of his generation. However, after losing two years ago, he had to let go of his naivety and came to have a stronger sense of self. That's the big difference between him and Mara Fuji. Today, Kenta believes that if he shines, Noah will become popular and it will directly help the Purasu industry to thrive. As mentioned in last month's issue of this magazine, everyone's expectation was to see Best Bout again. However, it was different this time. He was trying to cut out all the thoughts of creating an entertaining battle together. This was because Kenta had looked back on two years ago when he was too conscious of trying to surpass the previous battle and couldn't bring out 100% of himself. Beating the Chateno Perez, surpassing best bout performance, letting go of others' expectations and sticking to himself. This was the only theme on this day, October 25th, 2008. The reason why Kenta, the pro wrestler, was brought to the Budokan main event in the first place was because he fought in a way that brought his feelings to the forefront. At the same time, his most important driving force was to respond to the expectations of the audience who wanted him to go hard. Those things combined was how he came to carry the expectations of the fans. When he was young, he could just go with the flow with his fighting spirit, but it's just human nature to start thinking, let's set up the next match while fighting at the top without realizing it. He wanted to consciously get rid of that thought no matter what, so in this match he challenged Marfuji with just his Makeji Tamashi, which means unyielding spirit. In fact, I don't think he lost that feeling throughout the match, not even for a moment in the 60 minutes. Of course, there were some conspicuous scenes where Kenta struggled, but even in those scenes, Kenta's Makeji Tamashi didn't fade one bit. The emotions were, that overflowed from him were conveyed to the audience, which must be why there were Kenta calls many times. Kenta said, I don't have a capacity like Marafuji. I just have to keep doing what I normally do. No matter how many minutes in, I just have to keep being myself. In contrast to Mara Fuji's unique and inspirational attacks, Kenta's attacks were not far from usual. Two years ago, he did at times fight inspiration with inspiration. This time he focused on being himself and bringing out 100% of what he had to offer. As a result, he captivated the audience with his own attacks, as well as bringing out the best out of the opponent. It was the longest match they both had ever fought in a singles match, being the main act at Budokan, with rising audience expectations as minutes passed and reading each other's attacks in an extremely close game, such a supreme battle had brought about a certain change in Kenta. Halfway through, I must have entered the pro wrestler's high. While I was there, I had no perception of time. Kenta had reached the state of excitement, similarly known as climber's high, runner's high, etc. in this battle against Marafuji. The fact that he commented that he was not scared of anything and hugging the opponent at the end, even though he usually doesn't, must have been because of the state. I love that he mentions that. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. Kenta had been fighting for two years with his own spirit without relying on anyone. However, what he realized in this double title match was that Marafuji was the best opponent for him, who could bring out the best in him, who could compete with and improve each other, and that there were many people who were looking forward to their fight. Whether you win or lose, pro wrestling never ends. Of course, this is true, even though it was a draw this time. Neither of them could get three counts in the sublime world. It wasn't that there was no conclusion. The conclusion was a draw. Noah's first ever 60-minute full-time draw championship defense, a new page is added to Kenta's endless journey. When a new future opens up, the past will inevitably be weeded out. The accumulation of those pasts will become history, and the annual ring, like in a tree of a pro wrestler called Kenta, grows. This is not the end. I want to make this match the new step of something. I need to make this a start of something, said Kenta. The conclusion of this day's draw was just one big milestone. The direction he was facing was not wrong. Kenta has already taken a new step in his endless journey. As long as he sticks to himself, even in intense situations such as this double title match, the day he gets to the top in the true sense shouldn't be too far in the future. Now I'm going to read the comments from Matsuda, who spoke to Marafuji. It was neither adding to the legend that he already was, nor the current state of Shiteno Pro Wrestling. What Marafuji wanted to show at the World Junior and GSG Junior double title match was the new Marafuji versus Kenta that had the potential to change the current state of the pro wrestling industry. 
the whole industry is in the situation right now. So we have to do something to change that. Not only just doing what you've been given, but I have to become a wrestler with the power to open things up. Mar Fuji is a wrestler who has achieved things that seemed impossible by using his own determination. The best example of this is when he became the GHC heavyweight champion with a build of a junior. Even when others told him it was impossible, believing in himself and trying, that's how he opened up the impossible paths. Mara Fuji had been thinking about how to bring back the Paris industry, which was losing its spark. A lot of groups were struggling to bring in the audience, and Noah was no exception. They were starting to see a few empty seats, even in the Budokan championships. Keep Noah exciting and keep the industry going. The others may say that it's difficult, but Mara Fuji thought, I have to be the one to do this, and he acted on it. One of his actions towards this goal was obtaining the World Junior Crown. If you consider Noah and All Japan's past, you could not imagine a World Junior Champion Mara Fuji until a few months ago. That he acted provided hot gossip for the industry, and then he won. As a result, he succeeded in providing even more big opportunities for the industry, the first Kenta match in two years, and Noah's World Championship. As if to answer to him, Kenta also won the GHG Junior Crown, which made this double title match possible. This added value to Mara Fuji's cards and attracted even more attention from the public. In this Kenta battle, which was the best situation for him, Mara Fuji was trying to take on even more challenges. Mara Fuji said, this time I wanted to pick away at him little by little with basic moves and then submit him with one big ultimate move. It might have been more exciting to do big showy moves, but I wanted a match where people were persuaded and then surprised. I wanted to make everyone breathless. Mara Fuji and Kenta's battles had accumulated a reputation that could compete with Shiteno, which they were often compared to. Their dangerous techniques developed out of a strong desire not to lose, and their great skills beyond imagination were not inferior to Shiteno. There must have been many fans at the venue who expected such dangerous battles, but what Marafuji wanted to show was the new Marafuji vs. Kenta. These days, there are many matches where big flashy moves are fired just to get the audience excited, but if one big finisher is used after accumulating certain damage, one shot is enough. Even if they were considered basic moves, if you move with passion and variety, it can still excite the audience. That was what Marafuji thought, and therefore he decided to show a new battle that was not an evolutionary form of their past battles at this match, which attracted the most attention ever. In the midst of these inspirational attacks, where you could really see Marafuji's determination for this Kenta battle, was his Kadabra, or Moonsault over the metal fence. He tried this move in October 2006, but the swarms of cameramen moved the metal fence, which made him misjudge the distance, and he injured his own neck. He had taken damage that could have been life-threatening. I thought I couldn't win unless I gave up something, and there was nothing scarier for me than Kenta. Even this time, there was a good chance of getting hurt. Still, in order to win against Kenta and change the future of Perez, he fired a determined blow. Attacks with such determination were possible only because the opponent was Kenta, a rival who criticizes Marafuji for being naive, for thinking about the industry before himself. But for Marafuji, he is the best opponent who he can express everything about himself to and an ally who can share his aspirations. Because the opponent was Kenta, who kept on kicking no matter how much Marafuji attacked his legs and kept returning his creative attack with passionate moves, the fight became heated very quickly and time flew by. Before the match, Mara Fuji said to the fans, reporters, and wrestlers to please watch this match. In this match, there were no falling type offense and defense, which are indispensable to Chiteno Perez, and no big ultimate moves such as Shuranui Kai. The new Mara Fuji vs. Kenta match did not bore those who watched for all of 60 minutes. He does bear some frustration that it was a draw, and he knows that he can do more against Kenta and has a strong desire to do more. No matter how great a match he plays, Marafuji will always keep looking higher. That is how he has obtained the power to change the impossible. Those were excellent. Those are just very, very excellently and well-written. One thing I always, that I learned, I guess, this episode um, is that I really, how much they were compared to Shiteno and how, you know, what that did for them and what that 
you know, sort of define their rivalry by. And uh, again, I think that speaks to just how unique um, these two are as far as a rivalry and, and sort of how they became that blueprint of these big, you know, sweeping rivalries that you begin to see. It's it's just very interesting, the pressure that they had upon them to sort of create something and create this rivalry out of each other that could, you know, turn something into the industry and and evolve the industry. And you're you're really beginning to see those beginnings um, here throughout that first that first arc of their uh, rivalry. So as we close part one with them having this incredibly successful and triumphant moment together in the Budokan in 2008, while knowing that the industry is failing around them because no company's business is really doing well at that point in Japan, both of them are left with a sense of this not being the end for them. They want to do more. They want to create real change, whether that be in NOAA or the industry. And the start of a new chapter is perhaps on the horizon for both of them. In part two, we are going to pick up in 2009 with Misawa's passing, which alters the course of Marafuji's career, but is also relevant to aspects of his and Kenda's relationship and rivalry. Then we will walk through their singles matches to date, which include both their 2010 matches, their 2012 match, Kenta's GHD heavyweight defense against Marafuji in 2013, and their match at Marafuji's 20th anniversary event called Flight in 2018. And I will naturally talk about Marafuji watching Kenta's return to Noah from the Cork and Balcony at Sugira's Purdue show for the first time since Flight in December 2021, because I have lots of thoughts about that. And truly and honestly and unironically, I cannot wait to hear those thoughts and so much more. And uh, yeah, you guys should look forward to it too. But in the meantime, go ahead and check out uh, the matches we talked about today because you will not regret it. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening to and supporting Kickout. We can't believe that in about a month, Kickout will be a year old. We could not have come this far without you, truly. The encouragement and incredible feedback we've received and all of the people we have met along the way has been so special to us, and we will never be able to thank you enough. We want to keep bringing you episodes with great information and research. We want to be able to bring you additional content and improve our equipment, too, so that our episodes sound better. So with that being said, we will be launching a Ko-Fi this week. If you enjoy our work, we would ask that you consider making a gift to help support Kickout. I'd love to keep getting magazines and other items in my private collection translated. For reference, I have over 200 plus shoe pros and gongs alone that I can get translated, <laughs> but it can be very, very expensive. So your support will go toward making those translations happen on a regular basis, in addition to planning for more bonus content and improvements to our recording equipment. We thank you for your support in advance. The URL is ko-fi.com slash kickout299, and we will pin the link on Twitter. But if you can't support us that way, that is completely okay, and there are many ways to help us, particularly as our most reliable way of getting the word out about Kickout in Twitter will not be very reliable for much longer. Subscribing to us and giving us a five-star review or rating on your preferred platform really helps us as we grow Kickout. More people can find us when you leave a five-star rating, so that is really huge at this stage of things. And as always, at least for now, you can find us on Twitter at kickout299. You can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y Star. And you can find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. And we will update you uh, if our socials are to change. 
You can always find the blog at kickout299.wordpress.com. And if you would like to submit questions and feedback or submit a pitch for the blog, please do so at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. And we do have some fun future episodes coming up at you. On November 22nd, we have our second part of our Maruken series. Very excited for that. And then we have our part two of I Am Noah. Also very excited for that. And that will be on December 6th. And then on December 20th, we are going to have our year-end episode where we sum up our favorite things from this year in wrestling and uh, just sort of think back on some of our past episodes. So uh, look forward to that. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon.